Infertility is extremely common. There are over 7 million people in the country who are experiencing infertility. These are doctors. We believe what doctors tell us. Infertility is considered a disease, and many of these couples don't know what to do or where to turn. This is a doctor that holds my happiness in his hands. And welcome back to another Mission Baby. In this episode, we're going to focus on getting the size family that you want. One of the most surprising aspects of fertility struggles is that so many people suffer with secondary infertility. I think most of us assume that if you've had one child naturally without any form of assistance or any issues, then having another will just be a breeze. But actually, no, this area of infertility is rarely touched on, but it's a problem that's becoming so prevalent. Exactly, Danny. And I've met far more people struggling with secondary infertility, which is the term used in this situation, than I have met with primary infertility. In the UK, it's really hard actually to get the exact stats because some people just don't come forward. Um, They're struggling to have the second baby and that's it. They struggle on and they just stay with one child. And they struggle in silence. Exactly. But there's so many reasons why people might have secondary infertility. I know many women going through this. And when you're faced with comments such as, you're lucky you've had one or keep trying as you did before, it can be really, really hurtful. But I'm actually going to be really honest here. When when I was starting out with and facing infertility, I was pretty much thinking that as well. I was super jealous that women could even have one and I couldn't have one myself. But I soon realised that infertility in all its forms and stages is desperately sad and incredibly frustrating. Simone, tell me why is this happening and why is it on the rise? We don't know. That's not a good answer, is it? But there's so many reasons. You know, sometimes women have changes to the body based on their previous birth experiences or birth trauma. It can be down to changes in semen sample on Honestly, the reasons go on and on and on. And as our guest today can testify to... Yes, again, we have the pleasure of chatting to one of life's determined few. A totally inspirational woman, Chrissy Sidwell. Hi. Hello. Hello. <laughs> so should we just start, Chrissy, by just asking you, tell us your story. My story started quite a while ago. My fourth child is almost five now. I have four children in total. I had three boys consecutively with no issues whatsoever. I was 22, fell pregnant, first try. Wow. Then... Um, lots of women who just, <laughs> yeah. really yeah. just like you right now. I, don't, I, don't, I actually no. don't know how it happened. Um, after a honeymoon, it was textbook. It really was textbook. And I was so young, didn't have a clue what was going on, but loved every minute of it, and it was perfect. The next time around, I said, you know, we'd like to have another child. Nothing happened for about 18 months and I kept thinking oh my goodness me what what on earth's going on and really then felt like this is how it should have been the first time you know because it's very lucky to fall pregnant quite Mm. quickly so we carried on trying we carried on trying nothing 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 didn't do anything different and then boom pregnant again so I was like fabulous that was very good the pregnancy was fine and then with my third son I fell pregnant when my second son was four months. OMG. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it was um, it was quite a surprise. I have no idea when that happened. Um, <laughs> apart from <laughs> I missed the period and I thought, oh, I'm about a week late. This never, ever happens. And then to point to test, my husband was holding a baby, looking at me, caught me in the loo and said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, <laughs> I'm just making sure I'm not. And then as I was saying it, it literally went pregnant. I was like, 
I am. And that was basically, oh so, so, there was, so there was our three and, and they're only 13 months apart, the two, my two younger boys. And I've loved that. They've been so close in relationship oh. and they rely on each other. They're very, very close. So that was lovely. And then when Lenny, who is my youngest, went to school, I thought, oh, I think maybe that urge to have another one started to come. And like you say, it's, it's, it is very difficult because a point of me and a part of me at this point thought, oh, maybe you shouldn't because you've got three you're being a bit greedy. But I had such a natural feeling towards having children. I loved it. I love pregnancy. I love giving birth. I literally love oh. it. And I've thought, oh, you know, I, I feel possibly just one more. So touched on the subject of my husband and he wasn't all that up for it. But then in the end, he said, okay, let's, let's give it a go. And I fell quite quickly, to be honest, in the next couple of months. And that's when it happened. So I had my first early scan at seven weeks and everything was fine I carried on my life normally 12 week scan there was no heartbeat oh my goodness me and it was the first time I'd ever been faced with them words or them even being put into that world of loss really and my obstetrician said to me well you know it's just bad luck and it happens and I'm right okay so I had to have an ERPC and because I obviously didn't lose the baby naturally, that was the baby was checked. Everything was fine. So he said, just go away, try again. I'm sure it'll be okay. I said, okay, that's fine. We did. And I got to seven weeks again, scan, fine. Got to 10 weeks and I thought, I don't feel very well. I think I'd have another scan. And again, the same thing had happened. Oh, Chrissy. So I started having blood tests to check that my levels, everything was okay. And everything came back normal. So he said, look, just do it again, go away and try again. I said, okay, fine. I did it again. And this time, I think I lost about seven weeks. It was hard, but you're once you're on that train and you're on a roller coaster, it's really difficult to jump off. Of course. And I really did stop because I thought, I don't know how much more I can do of this. Mm. And that's when he said, right, I think we need to do a little bit more investigating into your blood. I think you do have a blood condition. He says, quite rare because obviously it is a secondary infertility for you. So off I went to my London clinic and they treated me there and it did turn out that I did have a very rare blood condition, which I had very high, you might be able to help me saying this, cytokines, mm. cytokines. yeah, um, which attacked the pregnancy every time it happened. And they said basically it's like an anaphylactic shock, it gets worse every time. So although I could carry, was first like 12, 13 weeks, it dropped to 10, mm-hmm. then it dropped to 7. They said basically you'd then not get pregnant eventually because your body kept reacting in the way it did. It felt like a brick wall. I was like, oh my goodness me. So we had this conversation, should we just leave it here? But I felt like, because I knew I could carry, I thought well, maybe I'll just do one more try with some medication that they suggested and see how it goes. And that's when that story really started because it is a long road. It's a seriously long road. Mm. But if it's meant to be, I do believe that it's the right road to be on because you do get a baby and and they are so special when it eventually happens. And then you live in fear for nine months that you're actually pregnant and something's going to happen. But you have to kind of oversee that little bit. As far as the condition that I had, it was very aware to me that something wasn't right Mm. because when I was pregnant, especially the first one, it happened with all of them actually, I knew the moment the the pregnancy had failed because my left arm would go completely numb. 
Oh, my goodness. And I thought I was going crazy. And I said to my husband, oh, I must have pinched a nerve in my arm. I can't feel my arm. I literally couldn't feel it. And he said, no, I think maybe it's, you're just anxious. I said, no, it feels different to that. It's a sickening feeling. So nobody could relate to it, no doctors or anything. I said, I have to raise this topic. I said, I've had a numb arm every time I've lost. Is it connected? She said, of course it is, 100%. I was like, really? And she said, yep, it is. It's a neurological reaction to the loss of the baby. She said, but other people might have it in a hand or a shoulder, a leg. Your trauma is is being kept into your body. Yeah, it's reacting. So it was difficult (laughs) because... As soon as it happened, I knew. I was like, I know it. I know it. And what was interesting was I had to have IVIG blood transfusions while I was pregnant. Oh, my goodness. Um, which I had seven or eight of them. Wow. Yeah, wow. And, that, and they were really hard going. It's a four-hour transfusion. And is that for your body just to not reject the, the fetus? Exactly. So it's other people's white blood cells. It's not a blood product, so it's not scary as in you're looking at a bag of blood yeah. coming into you. It's a clear product, which makes the situation slightly easier. Basically, it's other people's white blood cells that then busy your white blood cells so that your body can get on with So essentially get distracted. distracted. That's a really good way of describing yeah. it. Yeah. So just like um, I think we've discussed in other episodes, but the intralipids will be used for natural killer cells. And so it's the, the same IVIG, concept. Yeah. The IVIG will be used to combat cytokines. And then, you know, we're here listening to Chrissy, the most compelling story ever, yet we know the HFEA rates this as red, as completely dangerous, as in not dangerous to your health, but clinics are just making money from it. It's just so hard when you know so many people who've had conditions like this and who've been treated and who therefore have their children. Had I not had that, I would definitely not have had my fourth child ever. So what did they say? So obviously you carried your three previous boys completely fine. Mm -hmm. So what was it? What was the sweet point that suddenly something turned and and you just weren't able to then carry on? So this was a discussion that I had in depth and it was explained that 90% of people wouldn't know what causes it, but it is a reaction that will make your... Are we talking trauma? For me, it wasn't. I knew what it was. For me, it was antibiotics. And it sounds crazy. Mm. I'm allergic to penicillin. And I was on holiday and I'd had tonsillitis. So off I went to a GP. They gave me antibiotics. And I said, I'm allergic to penicillin. I can't have anything to do with that. No, 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 it's not. So off I was back at the hotel. Two days in, I thought, oh, I feel so ill. I feel so ill. My body was burning from the inside out. I said to my husband, I feel terrible. He said, no, no, it's a tonsillitis. I said, oh, no, 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 it, it feels worse. I feel sick. My stomach's killing. I feel like I'm burning. And then I only Googled and translated and it was in the penicillin family. Wow. So I was oh like, my God. <gasps> so it wasn't penicillin directly. So I didn't have the yeah. reaction that I probably would have had when I was younger when I realised, my mum realised I was allergic to penicillin. It was milder than that, but it was a reaction. Her question to me was, have you had any allergic reactions in the last year? And I said, yes, one. And that's the trigger. And that's that what was they... the trigger. It's quite weird, it's, really. It it's fascinating. Your body's actually just trying to protect you. Yeah. And overprotect you. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> so let's get back to, so you've had your 
horrendously sad three miscarriages Mm -hmm. and then you tried again with the medication and is this Mm. when it actually worked yes so first of all um i was advised the ivigs which one was more expensive i was like gutted (laughs) simone what's the difference between the intralipids with the soya and the ivigs what's cost wise is a massive difference and normally they're used to treat two different things so um the ivig is used for cytokines um, and they're, they're all part of your immune system makeup. So it's all. So let's go back to the beginning. So normally a blood test is taken. Um, don't really think there are many labs in the UK who test for this. It will tell you what your white blood cells are doing. And there are, I hate these words, but natural killer cells mm. and cytokines. If your natural killer cells come up as raised, you're normally advised to take intralipids. And if your cytokines are raised, you're normally advised to take IVIG. And it's normally about every four months. I think this is where where the money making bits come in because there's no agreed timeline. You might go to one clinic and they say, no, you, you just need two or three. Another clinic will say, do it for your whole pregnancy. And it's just, you know, it works. You listen to someone like Chrissy's story and mm. you know it works. Yeah. It's just, there's no agreed kind of medication. If you look in the BNF, the British National Formulary, which is the, the book that all doctors and nurses will refer to. If you look in that for things like diabetes it will say take so much insulin or it will say precisely what you need and there's no agreed timeline so all we have are like women's stories like Chrissy's Mm. who tell us three losses and then just by chance she has IVIG and then all of a sudden everything's fine yeah so we're not just taking one story there's countless women out there who've got similar stories which is actually the whole reason I got into this field in the first place because these stories are so compelling Mm. but at the same time we've got the major institution the HFEA saying women don't touch this it's mad and there's a huge correlation to success rates with these treatments but how scary if you're on the outside you know imagine if you'd seen that before there was a massive newspaper article recently as well Imagine you're on the outside, you just know you're having lots of miscarriages and you hear a doctor tell you, well, try this. But at the same time, you're thinking, well, look at this massive government body telling me, no, it's not going to work. How Mm. confusing is that? So Mm. confusing. Did you see anything negative before you did the IVIG? A couple of things I had, but at that point, I'd had so much information on the positive side of things that I thought it was worth a try. Now, when I was looked after, honesty was the policy. And like you said, there was no guideline with the IVIGs. So I had one and then that was pre-ovulation. Then when I was ovulating, obviously, I was taking um, my progesterone, steroids and... um, Plexane Plexane, yes. So I was doing the same program as I would have done if I was going to have IVF. But because I could fall naturally, once I detected ovulation, I then had to see my doctor. They tested my blood. Within an hour, I knew I was ovulating and off you go home, do your business. So although I was medically looked after with medication, I still did the process naturally. And I fell pregnant straight away, first try. Wow. But with the IVIGs, I was guided that it would only go up to 20 weeks because there was no solid information as if you carry on the IVIGs you do need them you don't need them but what they did know at a certain point your body would take over that process and then it's stronger and and rather than the white blood cells interfering anymore but the whole time I was so worried I thought well what if I need them to 40 weeks what if they stop them at 20 weeks and then I lose I, I, I did worry 
So in IVIG, that's a drip. Yes. yes. Okay. And how long does that take for you to process it within your body? Four hours. Oh my goodness. Yes. How many were you having of those? Progressively through the pregnancy. I had one before I ovulated and then one every a month weeks, later. I yeah, I think I was. Weeks. Yeah. So six weeks, technically. And then another four weeks after that and another four weeks after that. And how do you feel after each one? At the beginning, they felt fine. They made you feel a bit lightheaded like because obviously one you've been laying down for four and a half hours reading books or podcasts or whatever you're doing but then when you got up obviously it was all a bit weirdly tired you hadn't done anything but then I'd get up walk to home or on the tube train and then you did feel a bit headachey after I remember the headaches were quite bad and then other than that nothing but then obviously the, the worst one was the last one my blood pressure was taken and monitored and they said, oh, you are not very well laid down. And I had to stay there for quite some time. But I had had a scan that day after the treatment anyway and it, and all was fine. And how pregnant, how many weeks were you at that stage? I was 28. Yeah, it was because they said stop at 20. I did. And then I'd had a couple of weeks where everything was good. Then I went on holiday and then that's when, so yeah, I was about 20. Chrissy, I hope you don't mind me asking, but you've got a lovely family, really lovely family. But you have suffered three losses yes. in your life. Mm. Do you talk about it? Did you talk about it? I can happily talk about it. And each time they were very different. So the first one, when I had the IPC, I was obviously put under general anaesthetic. The baby was removed and it was tested and everything genetically was fine, which is quite frustrating. So I mm. thought, oh, would have been okay, you know, because if sometimes if there's a reason, that side of things, you can just tick it and go, oh, there was a reason. Yeah. That's fine. But there wasn't. So it was harder. And for me, I'm very active in the way I am thinking positively. So although I knew I'd lost the baby, until I got to hospital, then it hit me. I was like, oh, I've lost the baby. Oh. And it was the question that the nurse had asked me, what would you like to be done with the baby after? And I thought, oh, this is really difficult because for me, the pregnancy was so small and young that I couldn't, and I still now couldn't put it in a bracket with a loss of 16 plus weeks. Mm. For me, there's a big difference. So I think that did help me deal with the loss initially. And then my husband was brilliant throughout all of them. And then that was pretty much dealt with and done. And, and I think having the ERPC was really simple and done. And the next day, you know, it's gone and that's it. The second time I miscarried at home and that was a whole nother story. I was, I remember I was at football with my husband on the Saturday he was playing and the Friday I knew that I'd lost the baby and I was going in Monday to have the procedure done again. When there's that weekend and I was like, okay. And on the Saturday the, the game had finished and all of a sudden I didn't feel very well. I thought, oh, I don't feel very well here. And I had my other children with me a friend, my husband's friend, and we were going to have something to eat before going home. And I'd gone to the toilet and I started brown spotting and I thought, okay, this might stay like this, might could stay like this. So I'm thinking, you know, you're talking to yourself the whole time, mm. Pro- probably will stay like this, it won't won't come away. And then we went to have something to eat and my husband says to me, you've gone grey. And I said, oh, I really don't feel very well, I think I need to go home. Went home and I had started lightly bleeding. So I just put a pad there, went to bed. Well, in the morning, it was happening. It was really happening. So I started losing, quite obviously. This had never happened to me before. So I'm thinking, oh, my goodness me. And this one was a 12-week fetus. So I'm thinking, oh, my goodness me. And 
it carried on all day and the pain got worse and worse and worse and I lost quite a lot and my mother-in-law happened to come in because my husband had to go to work so I was with the kids on my own laying in the on my playroom sofa they're all oblivious and I'm miscarrying so I thought so I kept going to the toilet and when I reflect on it now it had such a pattern and the pattern really was like a labor Mm. that's the best way I can describe it which helped me in a way because I knew what I was doing I love giving birth I was like right not that I'm going to love this situation but I know what I'm doing this happened started say 9am in the morning progressively happened my mother-in-law came and said I'm not sure we're not going to have to get you to hospital it's quite you're losing quite a lot and I said no 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 I'm fine my husband came back from work he was so good but he didn't know what to do he just you know I didn't know what I was doing he didn't know what he was doing so he said shall I take the boys out for a walk and I said brilliant yeah I'm going to run a bath this is going to be really graphic but I hope your listeners don't mind I was running a bath nobody was with me and it was labor pain I could feel this drag and I was like oh my goodness me do I need to go to the toilet I sat on the loo and I thought no I can feel something so I got some tissue I placed my hand there and I passed the whole sack. Oh, you're joking. Yeah, and oh, from that gosh. moment, I can't tell you, from that moment, my pain went, like labour, just went. I had nothing. I felt, I felt, I was like, <gasps> it's over. So it you're over. holding a piece of tissue and you've got the products of conception on the tissue. I can tell you exactly what it was. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And I said to Sid, do you want to see it? And he said, no, absolutely not. Please, I, I can't. I said, okay, that's fine. But I'd spent some time looking at it because I'm not a squeamish person at all. And You're clearly yeah, not. Oh blood doesn't God. worry me or anything. And, you know, if there's, you know, if there's something, an accident happens, I'm there. I'm an actor. I'm, I'm, I'm an active person in helping out. But I looked at this sack for ages and it fascinated me. And with sorrow as well, but I could see everything. I could see the yolk sack. I could see the fetus starting to form. Wow. Oh, my I could see gosh. the little um, cord. I could see everything. It was amazing. At the same time, it was I'd gone through such a process during the day. I thought, blimey, that was like a little labour, and it really was. Until I mean, I imagine many women do that and don't realise they've passed that, mm. or it's not of, of as formed as what that was. So I don't know whether I was lucky. I don't know, but it passed, and I could clearly see. Well, what the, did you do with it after? So my obstetrician said to me, "Can you?" Um, store it in a container and bring it to me and I'll send it to the lab to so you put it in a Tupperware box oh my goodness oh my goodness it is yeah wow you are one strong woman uh, you really are so was that tested afterwards it was yeah and it was all fine you're joking so it really does point to the blood blood. condition it really was my blood yeah wow yeah and the third time was again so different because it was a lot less weeks wise so it was more like a heavy period but that for me when I think about things that was a real miscarriage, a real loss, because I was experienced in the whole thing. I, I knew what was happening. Mm. Um, but I don't I don't look back on it now and think, oh, I feel so sorry for myself, that was really bad. Because I knew there was a problem, and I knew I'd done this millions of times. I knew there had to be something so wrong with my blood that it threw me into being proactive all the time. Maybe... It sounds like you were determined to get an answer, actually. Mm. It sounds like you just became more determined with the process and you had yeah. a plan yeah yeah was I was key, on a you know? plan mm. yeah that's that's definitely what it was and I not had... only that sorry to interrupt not only that but you were both in it together you were both on the same hymn sheet yes I think and sometimes you know you get that separation don't you when one 
one party saying enough already mm. we've got a lovely family let's stop and the other party saying, no i you know i'm not done yet but the mm. fact that you were both singing off the same hymn sheet had to have helped yes it did and then what was interesting was for my husband when you know because he we took it for granted so much that we could have children when we lost and he was we were together and we were told no the pregnancy wouldn't be moving forward he was so good but he we i remember walking down the road and we, i couldn't actually speak and i was like oh i don't know what to do i don't know what i'm doing and he said, this has made me realise how much I do want another child. Like, experiencing the fact that we now we, we've lost. So I, I, I 100% we have to try again. So, because I think at times maybe I would have gone, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can. But he was very supportive and said, no, 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 we, we'll get there. And my obstetrician at the same time, he was so supportive. And I've known him for years. He's delivered all my children. He too said, it's a blip, honestly, it's it's the most complex thing, mm. the easiest thing to source out. Like you say, it's a blood condition. It can be sorted and then it can be back, you know, you can have a child. That, that must have been so reassuring to hear at that point as well, the fact that your doctor is saying that. It was such a trying journey doing it. It was such hard work. Worth it, obviously. But looking back once the journey had finished, it was hell for quite a lot of people yeah <laughs> not only for me but it was difficult on my family it was difficult on my husband I was not the same person as you know as I was when I was carrying the boys just carefree and oh yeah I'm pregnant yeah yeah I mean you just you, you you're bouncing the whole time whereas when you are pregnant when with um you know with either help or through IVF or through IVIGs or whatever the reason may be just a fertility help you you feel completely different. I don't think you ever relax at all. There's there's a really hard place where you think, will I ever feel relaxed? I think um, a lot of people are going to relate to that. Yeah, yeah, and and I, and I did, and and I really suffered with anxiety, which I hadn't done before. And my husband, bless him, used to say, you know, come on, try and be really, you know, everything's fine. And he could tell told me that a million times. I would still have told myself, yeah, but maybe might might, might not be. And because we didn't know, it's very unknown, but it was. But it, what's interesting is when I gave birth to my daughter, all my labours have been filmed, by the way. Oh, great. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> not that I'll be attaching them to anybody. Anyway, anyway, see it. Um, but my mother-in-law videoed and she was filmed videoed. She, she was, was in there. She was in the room. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Been, and they, my mum, my mother-in-law, my husband have been with all of mine. You're oh, joking. wow. Yeah. <laughs> She was filming and we were we were chatting and once baby had been delivered and my doctor saying to me, obstetrician, well done, it was you was really good. I said, oh, thank you. <laughs> and I'm really happy, obviously, but he said, Are you happy? And I said, I am now, I feel all right now. And So for you I, at, at the point of labour and giving birth was sort of like your oh we've made it. Yes. We've made it to this point. One hundred percent. And his question, I re asked myself in my own head, which is what anxiety does to you. You question yourself all the time. He said, You all right, you okay? And I said, Am I all right? Am I okay? In my own head. <laughs> <laughs> and, I like, and then I answered, I was like, Yeah, I'm okay now. And it was it was really weird. I was like, Oh, I've done it. Um but at that point, my mother in law said to me, it was really interesting to watch because you I hadn't been myself through the pregnancy and then delivering it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, I'm all right, and she's okay. And then that was it. It was it was all fine. I was fine after that. Really, really good. Mental health and anxiety-wise, it kind of it was all fine. But when I look back, I think, who even was that pregnant? It was not me at all. So 
I've got to ask you. So just top tips for people who have yeah. had their fertility struggle mm-hmm. and then they've got to go through a pregnancy, you know, just wanting to get to that point where they can kind of relinquish the responsibility of having a baby on board. Mm-hmm. What are your top tips for staying sane? So for me, I've really focused on the baby. Probably for me, I'd say talk about it a bit more because at the time I didn't because I was so frightened and I totally get that. Probably lots of people are in that situation. What I found I did, I got all, because I knew I was having a girl, I got all her things and I just kept going through things and packing them rightly. And so my mind stayed on her the whole time rather than wondering, like, is, it, is everything going to be okay? Am I, am I worrying? And then I split it up, obviously, into your weeks, 20 weeks. I did relax a bit more, got to 30 weeks, started panicking again. So I was... I had to refocus and think, no, it's fine, she's okay. And my doctor did check me every four weeks. So I feel like if anybody is really worried and they are pregnant and it has been with help and they have that anxiety of worry, then perhaps just maybe have that extra check, you know, chat to your midwife. I'm just feeling slightly anxious because it really came into play with me and how I felt as a mother. Do you know, all through the story that you've been telling us, your listening to your gut has been quite a key point that you've made throughout everything, throughout your, you know, horrendous miscarriages. And it just shows the power of knowing your own body and the fact that you did. You know, you knew that something was definitely not right with the link with your shoulder. I mean, who else would have told you that? Exactly. It's your instinct. So I think your instinct is so keen. It's taking you through this amazing journey to where you are now. Yeah, you're right. And that I is so right. There's so much of female empowerment in that, though. Yeah. You know, some people would be, if they're told something different by a doctor or, or a friend or anyone, they'd take it. But you've totally stood by your guns the whole way through and said, I've, no, this is what's happening. As a, as a female and as a woman and as a mother, I've always stuck to my gut. You know, sometimes it's not been bang on, but... Nine times out of ten it has been. And I've then thought to myself, I am so lucky I went with my gut. And I always have done. And my obstetrician, actually, my doctor always said to me, oh, you do know your body inside out. You have followed your gut on lots of things. And it's a really nice feeling. It's a good feeling that we are trusting in so many people. And naturally, I trust people anyway, but... Well, especially doctors. You don't think of anything but not trust them. You think they know everything. But actually, you know your own body better than anyone else yeah I did I really did and I do even now even now I still have that I know my own body maybe it was a gift that I know that I've always had I don't know but it's it's been consistent so yeah that's so empowering yeah. because when you've gone to see any specialist you've said no this is what I think is happening or mm. I can't believe you essentially gave birth on the loo with your yeah. feet that I mean quite, yeah that's that, yeah. Just, but also the way you describe it in a positive light I don't think many people probably could do that, but that just shows the strength of your character and the strength of your mindset. Yeah, I think it's a very personal thing, how you would deal with that, because I'd gone through the first emotion when I first lost, had a miscarriage of, like, pure devastation, and then I got realistic and thought, OK, well, let's move on. Let's let's try again. And I'm very proactive. I was like, let's, well, we can do it again, which we did. But that one, it was a completely different experience, and I believe it was probably an experience I needed to have for myself and it did definitely make me stronger do you think it brought you a bit of closure as well by acknowledging what it was and acknowledging what you've been through definitely because I think when you have the RPC which is obviously the removal of the remaining pregnancy 
it literally could never have happened. You're asleep, you don't have any knowledge, you wake up, you, you feel like you've had a period, you do have a small bleed after. Which I guess for some people is probably what they want because they just don't want to know exactly. anything what's happening. They just want to get through it and get through to the other side. And at that point for me, it was exactly what I needed because I'd gone from having three pretty normal, healthy pregnancies, deliveries, and then this, boom, mis- miscarriage. That's definitely was the right action at the time. And then the second one was probably the right action at that time because it connected me to it and it made it real. It was fascinating, but it also made me feel like, okay, that's, that's finished, that's, that's over. And it was, quite, it was quite a nice finish for it. But obviously then I did have all the success and all the good stuff that came with the fourth and final. So... It was all worth it and it definitely was a journey. Do you know what? I bloody love women. Yes. This, is, this is exactly like our support group, what you've just experienced. Like it just shows this amazing, amazing solidarity and community. You know, when you're going through the same thing, you really know that there's people there to help you, to embrace you, to like go, yeah, you got this. But we do need each other. The lady next to you struggling with exactly the same thing and the one opposite you, and the one over there. So maybe, guess what? If you had a chat with each other, yeah, you'd be able to help each other out. Women need other women with similar stories. We all need each other. From both of your experiences, Simone and Chrissy, what would you say for anyone going through secondary infertility or realising that there is an issue and they need to do something about it? What would be your advice? I would say probably wait for about six months and then I would say start doing the same checks you would have done for primary infertility you've got to check the ingredients right you've got Mm. to go back to basics were the tubes damaged from your first delivery what about your uterus is that were there any adhesions or was there any damage from that what's the semen quality like you know has that changed at all but going through all the steps I think probably getting around to doing a blood test you, you would definitely have checked those bits first yeah but like Chrissy was actually falling pregnant. So actually, obviously, you were releasing an egg. And obviously, you know, the sperm quality was there to have got maybe if you'd have miscarried earlier on, maybe five or six weeks, then you might start questioning the semen quality. But getting further on into the pregnancy, that's obviously OK. But yeah, I wouldn't leave it any more than about six months. And Chrissy, what do you think? You have talked about how positive you were and, and how, you know, you had such a great mindset throughout what you've been through. What advice would you give to someone to try and change their mindset or be more positive? If any woman finds themselves in the position of secondary infertility, I think for your sanity, make a plan. Like Simone said, keep it simple. Right, okay, let me get back to basics. What's happening? Can I find out? Take your time. And I know when you when you want to be pregnant, you want to be pregnant tomorrow. Of course. <laughs> Not in six months' time or three months' time. You know, you're on you know, you've made up your mind, you're on that bus, you definitely, definitely want a baby. But find out what exactly is wrong and it drove me more mad not knowing. I was like, Well, what's wrong? What could be wrong? I don't know. And oh you just have to go, right, okay, scrap it, be calm, go back. What could be wrong? Let's just tick the boxes. And once you've done all that, and then you know, because once you've done all of that and then you get the green light, you are perfect, your blood's good, you're ovulating, on you go. Then you're like, oh yes, <laughs> woo, happy days. You're like, and you are in such a different place trying than you are pre-trying not knowing what's wrong. Of course. Because you're like, oh, I don't know, am I going to fall? Something could be wrong. But then if once you've done all the pre-plan and set out, and then you know exactly what you're doing, and you're on some kind of structure you are on it and you are really good and your mind then is more positive just knowing where you're at yeah 
known as I, I think one of the hardest things with primary or secondary infertility, right, we know that the optimal state for all of this is normally when you are in a loving situation and all the oxytocin's flowing and oh, your body's going, oh, I'm so calm and so relaxed. And then when you're actually trying, all those happy things are kind of diminished because you just want your goal so much. Mm. It's really hard to kind of rebalance. You can't say, God, body, please just release those hormones, please make it more likely for me to fall pregnant because you're in such a heightened state of, I want to get pregnant. Mm. I think that's one of the really, really hard things. Chrissy, I mean, what an inspiration you are. What you have gone through is mind-blowing, but what I love is that there's so much positivity and there's so much hope and you're a real success story. Thank you. You really are. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for so having much me. for Thank coming you. in. If you want to know more about some of the things we've been talking about, have a look at our show notes for further information and support. Do get in touch with us on Instagram at the Mission Baby Podcast or on email themissionbabypodcast at gmail.com. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. <laughs>